Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you, to be with you, to see those of you who are actually in the room, I mean, and uh, good to be with you. And so my name is Nelson, and I'm one of the pastors at Artisan Church here. And uh, last week, I uh, I introduced a new practice series called Praying the Psalms. And uh, I started out by offering a few reasons why we're doing it. Um, not going to rehash those entirely. If you missed that, I encourage you to check out the podcast or the YouTube video. But I want to begin today on a personal note, and that is to say, I love the Psalms. I love the Psalms. But I haven't always loved the Psalms, uh, and yet I do now. The main reason I didn't love them before is that I didn't always know what to do with them. Growing up in the church, certain Psalms, 23, 100, 103, were easy, accessible, non-offensive. So the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Forget not all his benefits. That made sense to me, I could get behind this. But later I discovered there's a lot of other stuff in there too. If you start reading the Psalms at the beginning, you're a page in before you read stuff like, Arise, Lord! Deliver me, my God, strike all my enemies on the jaw, break the teeth of the wicked. Or, your terrors have destroyed me. All day long they surround me like a flood, they have completely engulfed me. You have taken from me friend and neighbor. Darkness is my closest friend. That's how Psalm 88 ends. There are many other examples, and I haven't always known what to make of this kind of language and emotion, but eventually I got to study the Psalms with some good teachers, and they opened up the Psalms for me in some beautiful ways. Two short quotes from last week that go a long way to summing up the teaching I received. In most of Scripture, God speaks to us. In the Psalms, we respond to God. This is simple, but so crucial to remember. It makes all the difference. The Psalms teach us to respond to the God who has spoken to us, to come alive to God in the totality of our human experience. There's room for all of it. Everything belongs. The second quote takes this a step further. It's Eugene Peterson, who said, we don't learn the Psalms until we're praying them. So the Psalms aren't there primarily to teach us about God, although they do do that. The main reason we have the Psalms is to enable our response to God. They're there to be prayed. So we want to learn and we want to grow together through this series by asking, how is this Psalm teaching us to pray? We'll come back to that question each and every week. So today we're going to look at Psalm 40. It's familiar to some, perhaps even over familiar. But I want to read from uh, the message translation today in the hope that it can sound a little bit fresh and new. So I invite you to take a deep breath, another deep breath. Scott invited us to take one at the beginning, have another one. As much as you're able, wherever you are, relax. Let's hear it and pray it even now as we listen. I waited and waited and waited for God. At last he looked, finally he listened. He lifted me out of the ditch pulled me from deep mud. He stood me up on a solid rock to make sure I wouldn't slip. He taught me how to sing the latest God song, a praise song to our God. More and more people are seeing this. They enter the mystery 
abandoning themselves to God. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing. Ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. Doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me, and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life, became part of my very being. I've preached you to the whole congregation. I've kept back nothing, God, you know that. I didn't keep the news of your ways a secret, didn't keep it to myself. I told it all, how dependable you are, how thorough. I didn't hold back pieces of love and truth for myself alone. I told it all, let the congregation know the whole story. Now, God, don't hold out on me. Don't hold back your passion. Your love and truth are all that keeps me together. When troubles ganged up on me, a mob of sins past counting, I was so swamped by guilt I couldn't see my way clear. More guilt in my heart than hair on my head, so heavy the guilt that my heart gave out. Soften up, God, and intervene. Hurry and get me some help, so those who are trying to kidnap my soul will be embarrassed and lose face. So anyone who gets a kick out of making me miserable will be heckled and disgraced. So those who pray for my ruin will be booed and jeered without mercy. But all who are hunting for you, oh, let them sing and be happy. Let those who know what you're all about tell the world you're great and not quitting. And me, I'm a mess. I'm nothing and have nothing. Make something of me. You can do it. You've got what it takes. But God, don't put it off. This is the word of the Lord. And a response to the word of the Lord. And we thank God for that as well. It's a lengthy psalm. I'm not even going to try to comment on everything verse by verse. That would be foolish. But I wanted us to at least hear the whole thing. So if you're following in a Bible or an app, check out the heading. This is another David psalm, which could mean he authored them. David is known for his poetic and musical ability. The headings that contain uh, historical equations, we can imagine David living those things. On the other hand, some psalms seem to have been written after David's time. Maybe the speaker was a descendant of David, or it was written for the Davidic king. So sometimes David's name seems to be used in a much broader sense. We can't always be sure. But if a, headings, uh, a psalm's heading mentions David by name, I often find it helpful to picture him. So, Psalm 40. What you two discovered back in 1983 when they started performing their song, 40, and what we're being reminded of now is that this psalm is well known for good reason. Verse 3 begins, He taught me the latest God song, a praise song to our God. 
In the NIV, it says, he put a new song in my mouth. A new song. We can relate to the desire for newness, can't we? Whether it be a new podcast to subscribe to, a new Netflix series to obsess over, a new artist to discover, a new bike, a new job, a new president, a new relationship, new perspective, new motivation, new vision, new purpose. We all want and need newness. The longing for newness is universal. Why? Because things get old. They no longer fit. We get stuck. We get bored. We, we sink. We fall. We feel caught. We feel pain. We feel small. We feel unseen. We feel abandoned, left behind, forgotten. And sometimes we bring these things on ourselves and other times it's done to us. Whatever the cause, we know what it is to be stuck from time to time. It's part of being human. And because of this, we often find ourselves in times of waiting. Now, I waited patiently, as verse 1 appears in the NIV, is recognized by many scholars as a weak, trans uh, a weak translation. The message gets us closer to the sense of the original Hebrew, as it says, I waited and waited and waited for God. Another option, I hoped intensely for God. Intense hoping, waiting, longing, these things are so universal. We can't hold back from expressing them and no wonder they result then in some of the best art. I love what Walter Brueggemann said. The people on the inside write memos. The people outside, poetry. Speaking of poetry, did y'all hear Miss Amanda Gorman on Inauguration Day? The first National Youth Poet Laureate in the US brought it. If you missed it, go look up Amanda Gorman and listen to her read her own poem, The Hill We Climb. It's incredible. One of my favorite follows on Instagram is a black writer and podcast host named Dante Stewart. I want to share his reflections on Amanda Gorman. He said, Amanda Gorman, her words leaped and danced and shook our bodies and set our souls straight. Though we grieve, we grow. Though democracy is delayed, it is not defeated. Yes, sister, yes, we shall leap and dance and shake our bodies. We live, we hear. Thank you, Amanda Gorman, we hear. I can't help but think of what young people in this nation saw in Amanda Gorman. She took them and America seriously. Her words spoke deeply to young folk and forced into resilience year after year. To see and hear her is to see what is true of us and can be possible. She articulated the deep angst they feel. She opened up both their pains and their promises. She gave them language that is their own. That was responsible love. We need more poetry. <laughs> may we, may I do better at listening, especially to the poetry of those who have been on the outside and are on the outside. The pains and the promises, that is the very stuff of lament. The deep angst as well. And haven't we all experienced deep angst and sadness? And if that isn't your experience at this moment, rest assured someone close to you is living it. Now during COVID, the theme of kindness has arisen time and time again. And that the, the quote attributed to Philo says, be kind for everyone you meet is fighting a great battle. 
One of the gifts of being attuned to the Psalms as a worshiping community is that the Psalms confront our individualism. What do I mean? Well, imagine yourself in a non-virtual worship space. Maybe picture the Japanese hall. You enter the gathering, someone like Jenny leads a song, and it contains words that for whatever reason you can't bring yourself to sing. But the people around you are singing and you listen. Maybe you're able to join in, or maybe not. Either way, it's okay. Being part of a community, being in the room, even when you can't bring yourself to sing, means there are other people's voices that will carry you. They will sing for you. They'll pray for you when you yourself are unable to pray. In the context of this psalm, whatever it looked like for David, however it came about, the good news that he rediscovers is that the God to whom he is praying is all about newness. Notice the verbs that illustrate how God acts on the psalmist's behalf. At last he looked. Finally, he listened. He lifted me up out of the ditch. He stood me up on a solid rock. He taught me to sing. The God who causes surprises and newnesses and miraculous rescue is doing for David what he can't do for himself. And this is not only David's story. This is the story of God's people throughout space and time. Many years before this psalm was penned, the Israelites had waited and waited and waited for God as slaves in Egypt. And finally, God inclined to Moses and said, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them. A lot of similar verbs going on, verbs that, that continue to resound from the Exodus to the cross, from Easter Sunday to Pentecost, all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. Over and over and over again, our God chooses the path of downward mobility to make newness possible for his people. Another Psalm, David expresses it this way. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. It's gotta be one of my favorites. Why does God come to uh, David's rescue? Because David never failed to be a stand-up guy, to be the perfect king, <laughs> because he deserved it? No, as we know, quite the opposite happened in David's case. This psalm reverberates the message that sounds through the whole story of scripture that God's heart is turned toward the stuck, the bogged down, the weak, the depressed, the forgotten, and it doesn't matter how they got there. That God's ear is attuned to those who cry out to him. That as we wait and hope intently in God, we can be assured of God's self-emptying solidarity and redemption. Newness is not something we can earn by our own efforts. It's not granted because you and I work hard enough, long enough to catch God's attention or attract God's favor. It is offered out of sheer delight. Can you hear and trust this morning that delight is God's posture towards you? How are the opening verses of Psalm 40 teaching us to pray? Here's one principle I see, and that's that waiting is a vital aspect of praying. It's a vital aspect. You can't pray without waiting. 
And waiting is the antithesis of our instant gratification culture. We're conditioned to want answers in a split second, to expect immediate results with having to wait for anything. And it can be hard to stay patient and calm when you feel like you're sinking. But who said prayer had to be calm? Have we read the Psalms? <laughs> Something happens to us as we wait in prayer. We grow stronger, our sense of dependency is enlarged. We learn to see the limitations of other misplaced hopes. We enter the mystery, as verse three puts it, and abandon ourselves to God. And that's really the theme of the entire next section, the sense of abandoning ourselves to God. Thank you. Um, verses four and five read this way. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. Turn your backs on the world's sure thing, ignore what the world worships. The world's a huge stockpile of God wonders and God thoughts. Nothing and no one comes close to you. I start talking about you, telling what I know, and quickly run out of words. Neither numbers nor words account for you. These verses kind of seem to be the substance of the God song. I can imagine just fast forwarding and, oh, this is what I'm gonna sing. Blessed are you. They sound like a beatitude. Blessed are you who give yourselves over to God. We place our hope in other things way too often, but only God is the one who delivers. In light of this, who can compare with God, he asks. No one, full stop. Verse six, doing something for you, bringing something to you, that's not what you're after. Being religious, acting pious, that's not what you're asking for. You've opened my ears so I can listen. This is such an interesting verse. The psalmist seems to be learning something in real time here, on the heels of his suffering, what's he discovering? Why the thought of doing or bringing something, sacrifices and offerings in the first place? Well, when your situation is miraculously reversed from quicksand to a solid footing, it makes sense to want to celebrate in some way. And in Hebrew culture, giving thanks for deliverance took the form of sacrifices and offerings. A, a humble acknowledgement, really, that something has to give in order for me to be set free. Deliverance always costs something. That's what the Jewish feasts and festivals were all about. The more significant the deliverance, the bigger the party. So David considers this, but then quickly determines that offerings aren't ultimately what God is after. Verses seven and eight. So I answered, I'm coming. I read in your letter what you wrote about me and I'm coming to the party you're throwing for me. That's when God's word entered my life and became part of my very being. Now, NIV, the first part of verse seven reads, here I am, I have come. Sacrifices and offerings are not what is required, but the whole offering of the self. Not a substitutionary offering to placate a violent deity, but a free, giving of oneself in response to love, out of a renewed desire to realign my life with God. This is what the psalmist is awakening to as his ears are reopened after being filled with mud. A new obedience, or rather, a fresh act of surrender. One that isn't based on duty, but delight. Not a burden, but a joy. I love what one writer says along these lines. Those who surrender obey, but not all who obey surrender. It is quite easy to obey God for the wrong reasons. 
What God desires is submission of our heart and will, not simply compliance in our behavior. Christ following is saying yes to God's affirming yes to us. If it is anything less than a response to love, Christ following is not fully Christian. I'm coming. I'm surrendering to your love. I'm coming to the party that you're throwing for me. God doesn't just want our obedience. He wants us. This is the essence of the Jesus way. This is the pattern of trusting discipleship. And as we all know, when delight has truly gripped you, you find it really hard to keep it to yourself. That's why we post sunsets and fireworks and mind-blowing meals on the socials. It's why we we need to text our friends the moment something awesome happens to us. Delight can't be contained. The verses 9 and 10, we see the psalmist's delight is real. He can't keep it to himself. Besides teaching us how to pray, this psalm also shows us what it means to be a people who testify, who tell our stories, who don't keep it in. So as we move on in the psalm, verse 11, things take a turn. Now, God, don't hold out on me. Don't hold back your passion. Your love and truth are all that keeps me together. Wait, I thought you were together. I thought you were lifted out of the mud and standing on a cell. Like, what's happening? Verse 13, soften up, God, intervene. Hurry, get me some help. You just were helped. So those who are trying to kidnap my soul will be embarrassed and lose face. Verse 17, and me, I'm a mess. I'm nothing. I have nothing. Make something of me. You can do it. You got what it takes, but God, don't put it off. What has gone on? What is going on? It's a bit surprising. Things were going so well. But then trouble returns. It's the opposite of what we expect from a typical lament psalm. Usually the pattern is this. The psalmist finds himself deep in it in some way. He questions God, asks, where are you? Cries out, God delivers him, and then there's thanksgiving and praise. That's the trajectory. One scholar said, understood logically, the sequence is wrong. A complaint should not come after the joy of the new song. So what's going on? Well, 40 is an unusual psalm. It's a departure from the normal, the expected pattern. And in the Psalms, that happens from time to time. So much so in the case of Psalm 40, that in terms of genre or type, scholars have found it hard to pin it down to a single one. Some actually categorize it as two genres. Verses one to 10 are a thanksgiving, and 11 to 17, element. I find that helpful. I also find it helpful to notice that on closer reflection, the sequence is maybe not so backwards after all. Maybe it actually reflects the reality of our lives more accurately in some cases. One writer said it like this, Walter Brueggemann. It reminds us that the move from disorientation to new orientation is not a single straight line irreversible, unambiguous. Life moves in and out. In our daily life, the joy of deliverance is immediately beset and assaulted by despair and fear. Or we could quote a beloved Canadian poet who said famously, love is not a victory march. It's a cold, it's a broken, hallelujah. The way of Jesus is not easy, nor is it always pretty. In this particular season of the life of artisan, we're feeling this. 
It requires vulnerability. It takes courage. It takes ongoing trust and daily surrender to the love that holds us all together. So in considering our response to Psalm 40 this morning, we've already touched on a few invitations uh, that this psalm holds out for us. We could summarize this way, that the need to actively wait in prayer, waiting is a vital aspect. The, the call to be storytellers and testifiers to God's loving rescue. And also the reminder to turn to God, not only in joy, but also in trouble, or not just in trouble, but as well as in joy. Later in the New Testament, uh, the writer of Hebrews puts some of the words of Psalm 40 on the lips of Jesus himself. It says in Hebrews 10, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It's written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, O God. Christ is the one who most perfectly embodies complete surrender to God. Jesus, above all, makes it plain why self-offering is so much more important than any other kind of offering. Other offerings were only ever intended to be symbolic of self-offering. That was what the Old Testament law was really saying in setting out offerings. More than anything else, these sacrificial aspects were designed to symbolize Christ's own self-offering on the cross. The final absolute model of self-abandonment is Jesus himself. With his ultimate self-offering, any other type of sacrifice has ceased to have any significance in God's plan for the world. On that basis, we too are invited to come to the Lord's table, to receive the bread and the wine every week, every time we're together, the symbols of God's self-giving, co-suffering love. So I want to invite you to the table in just a moment. But before I do, we've said this is a practice series. So I want to give you some options and some invitations to practice this week. Three possible ways to enter the mystery, to abandon yourselves to God by praying the Psalms. One thought would be to pray for uh, Psalm 40 every day this week. Maybe try using a fresh translation such as the message. That's kind of what I did this past week. Once I finally decided what psalm to preach on, I just picked it up every single morning and just read it. And I tried to read it aloud occasionally because psalms are meant to be heard. They were chanted and sung originally, so not just read on the page. That's one thought. Just read it every day this week. Second idea, go back to 1983 and listen to U2's 40 every day this week. And just notice what you notice. What does it stir in you? What does it draw out of you? Third idea, Pray Psalm 40 with journal in hand. Keep reading until you get stuck on a word or a phrase, something that stands out to you in some way. And when that happens, stop and pray your response to it by writing it down in your own words. Just have the journal handy, take a pause, and maybe you don't even get any further than that place where you initially got stopped. Next day, maybe just pick up from there and keep going. These are just a few ideas. Um, I want to invite you to experiment as you feel led by the Spirit during this practice series, um, but wanted to offer those. Let's have a brief silence to just consider these invitations, and then we'll read our table liturgy together and come to the Lord's table. Brief stillness together. 